As part of our Patreon-exclusive content, we're going to be book clubbing and posting our discussions. We're going to start out with Quantum Psychology by Robert Anton Wilson, and we thought we would give you a little taste of what this is all about um, as a surprise bonus content. Uh, so here's a discussion of the overview of the book, a little bit about Wilson himself, and our dissection of the introduction to the book. So first off, who was Robert Anton Wilson? In short, he was an author. He wrote the Illuminatus trilogy, many other nonfiction novels. He did lectures, interviews. He's basically a a philosopher of sorts. He's also a big counterculture figure. Uh, He was agnostic, but not just in the sense of religion. He claimed to be agnostic about everything which he defined in terms of probability rather than absolutes. You know, how do we know what we know, you know? In my opinion, he was on sort of the same level of uh, countercultural philosophical significance as folks like, you know, Terrence McKenna, Tim Leary, whose Eighth Circuit model of consciousness was discussed in several of Wilson's books, including the one we're going to talk with you all about. Economically, he supported basic income for everyone, considered himself a libertarian socialist, um, and later in his career, more specifically as an anarchist, he argued that Soviet Russia under Stalin was not a socialist state, but rather state capitalism, which is, I think, much more accurate. Um, He was a member of the Church of the Subgenius, which I think is better left for all of you to explore on your own. You can Google it and go to thesubgenius.com. You'll find out that a lot of imagery that you may have found um, in, say, Spencer's Gifts or other places in your life um, in pop culture is sort of uh, spawned out of the Church of the Subgenius. He heavily advocated for the use of medical marijuana, also the use of E-prime English, which we'll wait to define as it is kind of a big part of this book. But what is this book quantum psychology. All right. So according to the back of the book, uh, quantum psychology offers a coherent and humorous description of how our thoughts, values, and behaviors have been considered by our, I'm sorry, have been colored by our use of language and the prevailing view of the universe. While quantum mechanics, relativity, non-Euclidean geometries, non-Aristotelian logic, and general semantics have revolutionized our worldview, the habits of daily human thought still deeply, are still deeply, looted, still deeply rooted in the thought patterns and linguistic conventions of the Middle Ages. Through an introduction to E-prime, uh, which is English without the use of the, wor- the verb to be, uh, the eight circuits of the brain model and the labyrinth of quantum mechanics' various views of reality, Quantum psychology can help your brain improve your perception of yourself and the world. All right. That's a a mouthful of (laughs) linguistic noise. (laughs) And with that, let's dig into this thing. So the introduction consists of three parts. An introduction by David J. Brown, some preliminary notes by Wilson himself, and a forewords. And that comprises the first 13, cha- uh, sorry, 13 pages of the book. So let's check All it right, out. Let's do it. Okay, so David J. Brown is an author and researcher who studies consciousness, psychedelics, other drugs, and parapsychology, as well as a bunch of other really interesting stuff. Uh, he was also a close personal friend of Robert Anton Wilson before Wilson's death in 2007. In his intro to quantum psychology, Brown uses the term psychoactive, to describe Robert Anton Wilson's writing, 
which I feel is the perfect descriptor for the effect that reading some of his books has had on me. Uh, (laughs) Exposure to his work has definitely helped me look at the world in new ways. Uh, And that's why we're so excited to take this journey with you guys. Uh, Brown does warn, however, and so will we, that once you read this book, you may never be the same. So Brown walks us through a few of the major themes. Um, There's ideas about how the tools we use for measuring phenomena end up having an impact on that which they measure, much like our sensory perception shapes every aspect of our experience of reality. And ideas about how the problem of the so-called mind-body duality might be dispensed with where we could consider the mind and the body to be intertwined in like a similar manner is space and time. There's also an introduction of E-prime, or, you know, as we've said before, using precisely descriptive language without the words is or are of identity. Uh, Brown notes that this improves the accuracy of communication immensely because it avoids the fallacy of communicating an erroneous sense of certainty. Wilson claims that any sufficiently advanced analysis of reality must eventually abandon Aristotelian certitude and accept models that are based upon probabilities. So I agree with Brown and Wilson on that. Good stuff, you know, right? For sure. (laughs) Uh, More good stuff uh, that Brown points out we can expect from the book, a rundown and examination of Leary's Eighth Circuit model, as we said, uh, the law of octaves, which is very cool, um, which is kind of this grand unified theory, very wild. I'm guessing we're probably going to need to talk about chaos magic a little bit when we get to that point of the book, but... How how can we not, (laughs) you know? It's... All sorts of wacky and fun things are going to just kind of pop in and out of this this uh, segment we're going to do. And y- you might have to stop me from getting a little tangential at times. Imprinting and reprogramming and that kind of stuff is, is really my crack. I, I sort of love that topic. I also really liked that he brings up the notion of prefacing all forms of science with the prefix neuro. Mm-hmm. The thought being our experience and exploration of the sciences is biased as it's filtered through like the human nervous system. So all we can experience is, as he put it, existential reality and not capital T, true reality. You can't leave the observer out of the description of the observation, as he says. So whatever instrument we use to measure the effect of the experiment alters the results of the experiment, even if it's the human mind, which is sort of fascinating to think about, but we'll get to more on that later. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Looking forward to it. And, you know, as a side note, uh, imprinting and reprogramming are sort of my crack too, so maybe we'll just fucking climb down that rabbit hole together. I don't know. <laughs> Let's do it. Another topic that is explored in this book is a look at how we, as a species, have changed and continue to do so as the rate at which we ex- process information continues to grow exponentially. So we'll definitely talk a little transhumanism, I think. Uh, one last thing that Brown points out about the book is that it's meant to be read by a group and the exercises at the end of each chapter are meant to be done together. Um, I have this far been unsuccessful in convincing anybody to read this book with me, so I'm super excited to go back to it and use it as it was intended to be used. <laughs> but what did Robert Anton Wilson himself say about this book? Yeah, he said each chapter in the book contains exercises which will help the readers comprehend and internalize or learn to use the principles of quantum psychology. Ideally, the book should serve as study material for a group which meets once a week to perform exercises uh, and discuss the daily implications of the lessons learned together. I also employ, as he says, the scatter technique of Sufi writers 
Topics do not always appear in a linear or logical order, but in a nonlinear psychological order calculated to produce new ways of thinking and perceiving. This technique also intends to assist in the process of internalization. Yeah, so that's what we're going to do. Going to read, consider, discuss the implications of what we learn in each chapter, and we're hoping that you'll join us for the ride. Uh, we'd love to hear your perspectives. One of my many personal mantras is communication is difficult. I know that's not an E prime. Maybe E prime is that communication tends to be difficult, which is a little bit more true. In the foreword, Wilson does an amazing job of explaining why this is the case. Uh, you see, along with every signal that transmits information, there's always some degree of noise. This can take the form of static on a phone line or broadcast, um, typos that I made while writing up this summary. Uh, it can also take the form of semantic noise, like misunderstandings caused by the way that we use language that lead us to come to erroneous conclusions about what's being said or even the person who's saying it. And typical of Wilson's style, these ideas are illustrated in like funny little stories that make the concepts super easy to grasp. In an attempt to reduce semantic noise, Wilson defines a few terms for us that we're going to need. He does this in the foreword. Uh, he gives his de definitions of like things like existentialism, phenomenal phenomenological so sociology, ethnomethodology, pragmatism, Copenhagen interpretation of quantum physics, and other interesting things that we will come to as we read. There's a tidbit in the middle of the foreword I really want to address. Wilson writes, George Washington served two terms as president. Seems proven to the average person with a standard reference book. Confirms it, but proof requires faith in standard references. Faith lacking in many revisionist theories of history. As a history teacher and a fan of dystopian and post-apocalyptic fiction and a thinker in general, I've considered this very concept many times. How do we know anything at all? All we can really know is what we've experienced directly. Anything else is a leap of faith. But even in our direct experience, it's filtered through our cultural operating system, through our biases, our assumptions, and everything we've ever learned, true or not. During the Nazi control of Germany, they burned a whole ton of books that they didn't agree with and entire re entirely rewrote the history texts. The same thing happened under the Islamic Revolution in Iran. Not 10 minutes ago, I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw a post from a friend about a law related to a specific thing created over 10 years ago. And this post had an overlay from Facebook stating that the information he posted was fake news. I did a little background research and there's like a significant body of evidence by government websites and um, several other independent sources with like all the relevant information and, and legal documentation relating to that topic, indicating that the information Facebook was stating was fake, fake, was actually true. So now what? Uh, I'm, you know, I'm trying hard not to get too political here, but how can we know what is real at all? The book that we're about to discuss talks about the nature of reality and our perception of it pretty well. In fact, this is the topic of the very first chapter, which is titled, How Do We Know What We Know If We Know Anything? And you can find all about that um, if you choose to join us on patreon.com slash FG, the number two T-O. And uh, we'd love to see you there. Yes. Um, it's linked in our Facebook group page. <laughs> so check that out too, if you want. <laughs> I will also resist the urge to get political. Uh, we can save that for our discussions that come up, <laughs> which I think it might. Uh, seems like a safe bet. 
Uh, as a side note, the minimum amount to join our Patreon is a buck, uh, but we'll take whatever you'd like to give. I'm guessing our discussions might be a little bit more freeform and wild than our normal format for the show, so if that sounds like the kind of thing you might be into, consider grabbing a copy of Quantum Psychology by Robert Anton Wilson, preferably from your local independent bookseller, and join us for the ride. Yeah, if I can, I'd love to highly advocate push, uh, purchasing books from Powell's Books online. They're one of like the last big family-owned book retailers and they're a huge Portland icon and this virus has really sort of wrecked them financially. It would be, you know, it would make a lot of people real sad here in Portland if Powell's Books went under. But um, there are, I have a few other suggestions as far as, as places you can purchase books um, that are not Amazon.com. So here are a few suggestions. Books a Million, Alibris, which operates through a network of independent booksellers. Better World Books, which is really cool. They support literacy charity programs. So every time you purchase a book for the, from them, a little bit goes to improve literacy worldwide. That's right. Really cool. Uh, thrift Books. And there's a place called Book Outlet. Or, you know, as Luxa said, your local independent book dealer could really use your help right now, too. That is, you know, if they're open. For real. Um, but however you get your books, we really hope you join us. Yes, please do. Cheers.